wonderful message of the beauty of Christ's sacrifice for us. May we have ears to hear today of the cost for what it is to follow Christ. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask him for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Jesus is often provocative, often making us uneasy, calling us to do more than we can imagine, and today is, is no exception to that. But this message seems to be more than provocative hyperbole. There are scriptures and passages in the Bible where the gospel writers will, will tell us that when Jesus began to speak plainly, well, we don't have that here, but still, I do believe this is one of those plain spoken moments from Jesus and what he expects of us. To hear Jesus suggest that part of following him includes hate among us, especially among parents and siblings, well, takes us to a very precarious and vulnerable place in his message for us. Now, I am not one to ever want to soften or maybe tame what Jesus would say to us. I am tempted to today. When we say, seem to say anything that condones or encourages hate of others, may we be responsible and merciful and are trying to understand what Jesus has to say to us. In a sober mind, a world lends into that idea more than I'm comfortable with these days. So what a strange or precarious place to be here. Even so, I can say with full confidence, I do not water down the gospel in saying this, I think. But I don't think Jesus is advocating that we hate anyone. Not in the slightest. Now, Jesus has spoken of hate before, and it may help to see that in both instances, he speaks in the imperative. For example, in, in verse 22 of chapter 6, Jesus uses the same word for hate, and he says, blessed are people when people hate you. And in neither instance is Jesus offering a command or an expectation or directive for us. Instead, what Jesus seems to be doing is merely stating a reality. There will be those who will hate you because you follow me. 
even perhaps kith and kin. And his point seems to be that when people give us a choice to choose between them and the ways of the kingdom, we must be ready to recognize and choose the ways of the kingdom regardless of the cost. And the cost is high. It's no surprise for us that our ultimate um, loyalty must lie with God and the kingdom of God, even above family. That is not surprising to us. But we must consider what this cost means. Our relationship with God in Christ, it comes before all others. And this is not because we simply believe in Jesus or claim to be followers of Jesus. It's more than that. It's, it's because of the ways that Jesus is, often brings us to. Because the ways of following Christ and loving those that Christ loved, it will bring us to odds with our world. Even those we love most sometimes. And the place for which Luke uses the word in chapter 6 of hate actually is the Beatitudes. And there and in many other places what we see is that might is overcome by meekness. Violence is defeated by choosing to be peaceful. And love is the choice we make over hate. And I think what makes this such a hard teaching today for me is not only do we live in a very tense world often, but because family is a very precious thing for us. To even consider an existence without such love is something that I do not even want to fathom. As a parent, as a spouse, as a sibling, as a, as a child, I don't want to fathom that. We have deep ties in our communities and with our families. These are the folks who care for us, nurture us, and house us, clothe us, and, and feed us. And it's in our communities that we find our, our very identity and sense of belonging in the world. And it's a scary notion to lose any part of that. So the idea that because we follow Christ, that may be something that it costs us. Well, it's even harder than the idea of losing all our possessions. I'd readily lose everything I have to hold on to the love of community and family. Readily. But we all know too painfully that sometimes within these relationships, even the family, some of the most painful hurts come in life. And in the Bible and our human experiences affirms this. So where does our strength come from? How can we consider the cost that Jesus asked of us and be willing to pay that cost? As I've considered this question this week, and perhaps based on some of the things I've said, I've, I've kept hearing the Holy Spirit say to me, love your enemies. When hatred, when I see hatred, or it finds its way within me, or any form of rejection, or even violence towards us, we hear Jesus say, turn your other cheek. In other words, don't get pulled into violence yourself. Jesus was consistently trying to teach people that even when hatred or rejection is directed towards us, it never justifies hatred from us. I once heard a, a wise word saying that we we're best to make companions out of things like sin and hatred. And when I heard that, I thought, well, that's the very opposite of what I think seems wise, but the point being 
And so we must know how to recognize sin and the evils among us. Otherwise, well, they make a home in us because we're unaware. Howard Thurman once said that sin and hate have this sneaky way of hiding themselves from us so that we, we don't see it, and, it and, and, in, and in doing so, it finds a way in us. And when I found a very relatable and humorous story, he wrote that some years ago, a medical friend of him was giving him a, a full-bodied examination, physical, for the year. And after weighing in, his friend told him, you know, you better watch your weight. You're getting up in years now, and your weight will have bad effects on your vital organs. And so the doctor, and as doctors do, began to explain all those details about what that means. And, but Thurman could not help but notice that all the while he's listening to his doctor, the doctor seemed to be unaware of his own physical condition. He's chuckled, Thurman wrote, and says, As I looked at him, I saw a man five foot four, much shorter than me and heavier than me, and my friend, the doctor, thought his body knew he was a doctor. But his body did not know he was a doctor. The only thing it knew was that he was accumulating more energy through food than his body wanted to overcome. I can relate. Hence, the body did exactly what the body knew to do, to store it. Now, the point in sharing this by Thurman was that hatred and sin and anything that wants to divide us works much like this if we're not careful. We can fully understand that we are followers of Christ. But when we do not see the sin that still contends with us, including hate, well, we cannot contend with it. Jesus talks about this, though, doesn't he? Recall the parable about how judgmental we can be at times. He says that human beings have this uncanny ability to see the, the splinter in the eye of someone else, but still unable to see the logs in our own eyes. It's about awareness, right? Or the lack of it. So as a church, we have this practice of, as we have done this morning, confessing our sins together. Naming that which works to divide us and separate us from God and from one another that ought not to. And trying to pay attention, not in general, but specifically how that happens. And it's not about making us feel perpetually guilty or, or glossing over the sins we make as if they don't matter. But it's to ask God to forgive us. Helping us to see and to be aware and to acknowledge the harm that we do. And then to live more loving and justly with one another. This is the kind of clarity and, and searching I believe Jesus wants for us. And I think it's part of what's going on in this story today as he turns to follow, to speak to all those following him. He wants them to be fully aware of the cost and the awareness of that. And we often hear from the scriptures and from preachers or pulpits on Sunday morning that following Jesus requires that we have a deep trust and faith in Christ. But what do we mean by that? A deeper walk, a deeper faith. What does that look like? The story is told of a moment where a mother was teaching her child how to swim. And everything was going quite well while they were in the shallow ends and her child was swimming all over the place. Doing a great job. But every time she swam him past that rope that divides the shallow end from the deep end, her son would panic. And he would beg his mom to let him swim back into the shallow end because it was safer there. And she would simply say to him, don't be afraid. I'm still with you. 
Swimming in the deep end is no different than swimming in the shallow ends. Just trust me. Jesus wants to take us to the deep end of the pool today. He wants us to trust him more than we can imagine if we're to follow him. He's asking us to go deeper in our walk with him, deeper in our walk with, with one another. And even if it costs us the love of the most important people in our life from time to time, the cost for following Christ seems high. Loving those he loved asks a lot of us. But we're part of building something that, is, that makes it worth it all. Christ offers life out of death. But the life he offers is not gained by playing it safe, pleasing all people, or, or going along in order to get along in this world. So consider what it might take to follow Christ. Are you ready to go deeper today? Are you ready to do more because you are a follower of Christ? And I'm not sure, I'm sure I'm not the first preacher to ask you that question and can't tell you how many times I've asked congregations over the years that question. But again, what's the measure? How do we know if we're in fact going deeper in that walk, taking up that cross? Yes, this is about loyalty to God. It's about believing who Christ is. But Jesus continues to ask us for even more than that. He tells us that unless we're willing to carry a cross and lose all that we have, we cannot follow him. And as I think about asking you today to sacrifice more, I already see you and many doing a lot of good and sacrificial things in this life that cost time and money and energy. I see folks sacrificing something every day. I see parents, and I am one of those, doing all we can to get our child to, to this event or, or that game, and usually after a long day of school or a long day of work, and then get in the church and children's program and, and youth group here at the church. I see people working long hours trying to make ends meet and then showing up to 10 meetings at church and then giving more out of what you make. I see gyms packed with people trying to do good with their bodies and to, and to stay healthy. I see people giving a lot of time to care for loved ones and, but still somehow finding time to love others too. I see it. And I'm often on some of the very same treadmills that you are. So how can Jesus want me to ask more from anyone who already seems to be knee-deep in the day-to-day -day sacrifices of life? Well, I ask you because I must. I ask you because it is required that we take up a cross as well. I ask you because I believe that life in Christ offers the world abundance. And I believe it offers us a better way of life and living as community. And I don't mean abundance in the form of wealth or prosperity. That, Jesus says, we must always learn to lose, give away, or, or share more of. And I also don't mean we will gain a life that is void of worry or suffering. I must ask you to come to worship regularly, pray and study scriptures, because I believe when we encounter the word of the living God, it speaks to us in a way that brings life and brings the kingdom of the world to see and to be born. I must ask you to give to the church so that ministries can continue and to thrive. 
I must ask you to serve people around the corner and around the world because you are the heart and the hands of Christ in the world. There are no others. You are it. I must ask you to do all these things. But that's not all. I must ask even more of you than that. I need to ask you to take up your cross. And I must tell you that if you don't, you cannot follow Christ. And I must know that if I don't ask this of you, I need not follow Christ. Being a disciple is more than being a part of a large, wonderful group of people. But it is that. It's more than carving out time to get to church. It's about being ready in your life, in all the places you live and go, for those moments where you will need to sacrifice your comforts, your reputation, your affinities, your wealth or safety. Not so though we might prove to be faithful, but for the sake of justice, for the sake of peacemaking, and for the sake of affirming the value of every human being there is. It's about being prepared for the fact that there are those, even those who otherwise love us, who might rather we not affirm such things. In fact, sometimes folks will want to withhold love. And Jesus wants to be ready for that. Now imagine if I were to ask many of you what you understood the cross to stand for, we'd probably all say something about suffering and death, and, and of course we would. But let us always remember, Christ died on the cross, yes. But let us also remember the glory that it gave life to others. Yes, Jesus carried the burdens as we do of those who are guilty of sin, Infirmed by illness, overlooked, misunderstood. But what they came to understand because of the gospels that we have to share is that they are valued and loved by God more than they could ever imagine. And our life must also include that result. Our life, collective and individual, it must have the very same impact on those we encounter in this world who are lost, left out, or misunderstood. So at the end of our days, we will all need to ask ourselves if this has been true for us. So who do you, what are the circumstances, realities that the gospel might live out of you in the days ahead? How might you bring life to those out of your sacrifices? Therefore, in all your days ahead, be on the lookout, be prepared, be ready for that moment when you're asked to sacrifice, to take up your cross for the sake of those that God has called you to love. Get familiar with these stories and teachings of Jesus every day of your life because those are your guides. This is how we recognize who Christ loved. And as we come to this table today, recall that we come to it because Jesus gave us his all and so that we might do the same. And when we stand and we leave this table today, may God put on all our hearts the names, the faces, the circumstances that we need to give out of our lives for. May we live for the sake and the well-being of those faces and circumstances and names. May our life increase the sense of belonging in others 
And in doing so, may we pay the cost, not with a sense of obligation, a burden, but with renewed and a common rejoicing for the joy of God's love. Thanks be to God. Amen. And as we come to the table today, I invite you 